0: Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president.
1: Well, I'm sure it'll work out well. Good luck, Nikki. It's a great day in South Carolina.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight.
1: I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, uh, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing, Planet Earth, or Doing the Best We Can. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, now celebrating our 20th anniversary of muckraking and troublemaking. Glad you could join us today. Uh, Looks like 2023 is off to a banner start for the American gun industry and for the Republicans who put their own morality far behind... If they have any, far behind uh, their support for the deadly uh, gun industry and the terrorists that they all support. In the first 43 days of the year, as of Monday night, uh, shortly after we got off air, we have now had 67 mass shooting events in America This year alone, according to the Gun Violence Archives, which counts a mass shooting event as one in which there is a minimum of four victims, not including the shooter, that have either been injured or killed. That is uh, more than one and a half mass shootings each and every day this year so far in this country. God bless America. America. Michigan State University was swarmed with police, ambulances, and fear on Monday night as an active shooter situation unfolded yet again, with officials reporting today that there are three people dead and five others uh, as of airtime still critically injured. Four of them required emergency surgery. Police say all eight people who were shot on Monday On Michigan State University's campus were students, while the gunman had no known ties to the school. The 43-year-old alleged shooter in this case reportedly died of a self-inflicted gunshot after being confronted by police on Lansing's north side. That, according to the Michigan State Police Department's interim deputy chief, Chris Roseman, Quote, absolutely no idea what the motive is at this point, he said Tuesday morning during a press conference. In a tweet Tuesday morning, Michigan State University Police and Public Safety confirmed a note was found with the suspect. Police said, quote, it is currently being investigated by law enforcement. The school sent an alert at 8.31 p.m. on Monday night telling students to, quote, run, hide, Fight with a report of shots fired on the school's East Lansing campus. A message sent to kids who presumably understood that shorthand direction to run, hide, fight, which frankly would have been inconceivable and incomprehensible back in the days, at least when I was in school, and for the decade or so afterward when high-powered assault weapons were both rare and then banned for sale in the U.S. for about a decade until George W. Bush allowed that ban to sunset in September of 2004. It's unclear as we go to air what weapon was actually used in this case in Michigan, but such orders Uh, Apparently to run, hide, fight are not inconceivable to many young Americans who have grown up in this country amid school shooting after school shooting following the sunset of that federal assault weapons ban, uh, which ended again in 2004 and which Republicans still refuse to reinstate no matter how high the death toll grows. Which is just incredible uh, when you think about it, Uh, shooting after shooting after shooting that we go through and you still have an entire political party who refuses to do anything about any of it, no matter how many Americans get killed, no matter how many of their very own constituents get killed. The uh, right to be able, apparently, to go out and kill people is more important than the right for tens of thousands of americans to stay alive every year according to uh, detroit free press coverage this morning after more than a year of grieving the loss of her high school classmates a former oxford high school student was re-traumatized on monday evening at michigan state university when gun violence would once again shatter her sense of security The former Oxford student is now a freshman at MSU and was across the street when gunfire erupted, according to her mother. She saw people running out of the student union building and called her mom, Jennifer Mancini, who told the Free Press just after midnight uh, about all of this, requesting that her daughter's name not be used at this time. It was a surreal phone call for Mancini, who had just spent the last year helping her daughter cope with the loss of two of her closest friends who were among the four students who were killed in the November 30, 2021 mass shooting at Oxford High School in the suburbs uh, outside of Detroit. Six other students and one teacher were injured in the shooting. And by the way. Uh, when I heard about uh, b- b- this data point and that there were students from the Oxford High School shooting, I was kind of embarrassed because guess what? I don't even remember the mm. Oxford High School shooting in Michigan. Do, do you even no. remember it?
3: No, I don't. I- They've all kind of blurred into one giant mass of mass shootings.
1: Indeed. I, I mean, uh, you know, six stu- four students were killed, six other students and a teacher were injured, and oxford high school doesn't ring a bell uh hi desi doyan hi i uh i quote i can't believe this is happening again uh the woman uh, mancini uh, said after her daughter called and pleaded to come home Mm. quote she said that she had ptsd She can't believe this is happening again, Mancini said, noting her daughter has other Oxford friends who also attend MSU. In fact, photos of students uh, being evacuated on Monday night showed at least one of them just happened to be wearing an Oxford Strong sweatshirt Hmm. as he was being evacuated uh, following another shooting victims uh, now of not one, but two mass shootings at their schools. How can this be? Mancini said uh, about her daughter, she just wants to come home. She said, get me out of here, she pleaded. For Mancini and her family, the last year has been a long and painful one. Funerals, vigils, marches, Non-stop media coverage. These kids will never be the same, Mancini said of her daughter. They are not the same kids. Uh, indeed, and I'm not going to spend uh, too much time on this. Uh, instead, we will focus as usual, on what can and must be done about it in its wake, beginning with electing people to office who will help solve this problem rather than make it even worse. To that end, we've got uh, quite a bit of election-related news to try to get through today, beginning with the official announcement of the retirement of... California's Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein, who actually authored the popular 1994 federal assault weapons ban, which was allowed to sunset by George W. Bush uh, in 2004, followed by a decade in which mass shootings in this country tripled. Feinstein's political career was, in fact, defined in no small part by gun violence. After uh, becoming the first woman to serve as president of San Francisco's Board of Supervisors back in the 1970s, she actually ascended to the San Francisco mayorality after the November 1978 assassinations of then-Mayor George Moscone and City Supervisor Harvey Milk by a former supervisor. Feinstein, in fact, found Milk's body and reportedly held her finger in his wound to try and stop the bleeding until help could arrive. That story came up on the U.S. Senate floor back in 1993 during the push for the passage of the assault weapons ban that was authored by Feinstein when she was uh, patronized by Idaho's then U.S. Senator, the later disgraced Larry Craig. Here's what this sounded like back in 1993.
2: So the gentlelady from California needs to become a little more familiar with firearms and their deadly characteristics. And I say that because it is... A personal privilege for a moment, please. Yes, certainly.
0: I I am quite familiar with firearms. I became mayor as a product of assassination.
2: I'm aware of that. I found
0: my assassinated colleague and put a finger through a bullet hole hole, trying to get... I proposed gun control legislation in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I went through a recall on the basis of it. I was trained in the shooting of a firearm when I had terrorist attacks with a bomb at my house when my husband was dying, when I had windows shot out. Mm-hmm. Senator, I know something about what firearms
2: can do. Senator, I am not accusing you of not knowing. What I'm accusing you of is not broadening the issue to understand the debate.
3: <laughs> the little lady just doesn't understand the debate.
1: She doesn't understand guns. You could tell his, his pause there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not accusing you of not knowing about guns. I'm accusing you of thinking of something, thinking of something, thinking of something. <laughs> Anyway, if that dude's name, Senator Larry Craig, or his voice sounds familiar to you, it's likely because he eventually was forced to resign in disgrace from the U.S. Senate after he was caught attempting to perform a sexual act on an undercover cop in the men's room at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. As I suspect our listeners uh, on KTNF up there uh, may remember all too well, Larry Craig and his wide stance. Remember, <laughs> that was his excuse. So oh, I got a wide stance anyway uh, that after uh, that same guy, Larry Craig, had voted against things like civil rights protections for and, and marriage equality for the LGBT community. So that he could go to the bathroom at the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport and try to pick up an undercover cop in the men's room. But back to Feinstein, she... um After becoming the first female mayor of San Francisco and the first woman elected to the U.S. Senate from California, she was also the first woman to head the Senate Intelligence Committee and the first woman to serve as the Judiciary Committee's top Democrat. And I should note she was rather indefatigable as the Senate Intelligence Committee chair in trying to get the facts, the truth about torture carried out in our name by uh, the CIA and others under George W. Bush in Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, Feinstein announced on Tuesday that she will not seek re-election in 2024, signaling the end of a groundbreaking political career spanning six decades in which, as the AP notes, she shattered gender barriers and left a mark on political battles over reproductive rights, gun safety, and environmental protection. AP calls it gun control. We call it gun safety.
3: Because that's what it actually is.
1: Feinstein, who will turn 90 in June, was first elected to the U.S. Senate back in 1992. And she said in a statement today that she intends to remain in Congress through the end of her term next year. The announcement was widely expected. Feinstein is the oldest member of Congress. In recent years, questions, however, have been raised about her cognitive health and her memory, though she has defended her effectiveness representing a state that is home to nearly 40 million people. Where uh, here in California, just by way of reminder, uh, we are, since this comes up today, <laughs> we are out here in California. We are represented by just two U.S. senators, one of them being DiFi. We have two U.S. senators just like the state of Wyoming has two U.S. senators. We have 40 million people and two votes in the U.S. Senate. Wyoming has less than 600,000 people and, yes, two votes in the Senate. Vermont has a population of just over 600,000, and they have two votes in the Senate just like us out here in California with 40 million people. Am I whining? Yes, I am. And just to underscore that, if we had the same representation in the U.S. Senate as Wyoming and Vermont do, the same number of uh, Senate votes per resident of the state, well, California would have more than 66 U.S. (laughs) senators. But again, who's complaining? Me, I'm complaining, in case you're (laughs) wondering. That's me. Anticipating her departure, a field of candidates has already begun assembling for what is expected to be a fierce campaign to replace Feinstein in the heavily Democratic state of California among the candidates so far. Is Democratic U.S. Congresswoman Katie Porter, a prominent member of the party's progressive wing, who announced her bid last month in January, and Democratic U.S. Congressman Adam Schiff, who has been campaigning around the state, Adam Schiff happens to be uh, my congressman. Yep, and I—I'll I, take the uh, point of personal privilege here to note that some years ago I was entertaining the idea, oh, maybe I should run for Congress someday, <laughs> and I—and I my uh, congressman was some backbencher who no one had ever heard of, a guy by the name of Adam Schiff. Oh, well, I could certainly beat him. He doesn't seem very progressive. (laughs) Nobody's heard of him. He's kind of a, you know, an institutionalist. He's not very uh, progressive. I could take him on from the left, out here in progressive (laughs) Los Angeles.
3: And then, dot, dot,
2: dot.
1: Yeah, and then Donald Trump, and then impeachment, and then Adam Schiff, the most famous guy in Congress. Anyway, uh, well, he's he's gone now. So, or he will be gone, I guess. Stepping down to uh, try to run for the U.S. Senate. Who's going to fill his uh, shoes? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, a day after. (laughs) Just thought I'd mention that. Anyway, a day after. Like, I don't have enough problems. Brad, are you running for Congress? No, I'm running from Congress. There you go. A day after Katie Porter's announcement last month, 76 year old Congresswoman Barbara Lee. uh, Also, uh, she's the only member of the House or the Senate who was smart enough to vote against endless war following the 2001 attack at the World Trade Center. Uh, Barbara Lee also told members of the Congressional Black Caucus that she also plans to run for Senate next year. So that's three running for uh, that seat. Uh, Don't be surprised if there is more. But the uh, 2024 election news uh, that is likely to get the most attention this week actually comes from South Carolina, former South Carolina governor. And Donald Trump's former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, who officially declared her campaign for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination with a three and a half minute video posted to Twitter on Tuesday morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you through the full entire glossy three and a half minute propaganda video announcement where she claimed, quote, I don't put up with bullies. But I will remind you of this, which seems a a sort of a more appropriate way of reminding you who Nikki Haley actually is, uh, based on her own words when she was supporting a different Republican presidential candidate back in 2016, back when she was supporting Marco Rubio for the nomination versus... Uh, her words after she accepted a job as ambassador to the United Nations under presidential bully Donald Trump, a man who she described repeatedly back in 2015 and 2016 as a liar and even an apparent supporter of the KKK. But again, you know, that was back in 2016. Now, this montage was originally created for television, so it had the dates of each uh, of her comments on it. But I suspect you can tell which was then and which was, well, 2019 when this montage was created. Did you ever have any doubt about the fitness of this president? To I serve? never
0: did. Donald Trump is everything I taught my children not to do in kindergarten. Any question about his truthfulness, his ability to tell the truth? I taught my two little ones. You don't lie and make things up. I never had any concern on whether he could handle the job and ever. A man who has filed for bankruptcy four times in every instance that i dealt with him he was truthful he listened a man that chooses not to disavow the kkk that is not a part of our party that's not who we want as president we will not allow that in our country he was great to work with (laughs) so
1: (laughs) yeah other than being a liar and uh someone who won't disavow the kkk he was really a great guy to work with down deep He was really a hell of a guy.
3: Nikki, then and now.
1: Again, uh, you know, when when running in, uh, well, to support a candidate who was running against Donald Trump in 2016, she said, I
0: will not stop until we fight a man that chooses not to disavow the KKK. That is not a part of our party. That's not who we want as president. We will not allow that in our country. That is not who our Republican Party is.
1: Well, uh, funny thing, uh, <laughs> as it turns out, it is exactly uh, who Nikki Haley's Republican Party is, because she said she would, quote, not stop fighting a man who chooses not who who refuses to disavow the KKK before she then stopped fighting him and actually started working for him and praising him instead. Sounds pretty on brand for the Republican Party these days. That... Is Nikki Haley, and she is now running for president. So when she says in her introductory video for her own 2024 run for president this week,
0: you should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels.
1: Yeah, she doesn't put up with bullies. Except when she does. Yeah, she actually (laughs) goes to work for them instead. Never mind the heels. In short, while she is in theory running against Donald Trump now, we will see if she has anything actually bad to say about him along the way. Now, keep in mind that many other Republicans are expected to get into the 2024 race, and each one that does actually improves the odds that Donald Trump will end up winning the nomination, as uh, his sort of unshakable base is believed to be about 35% of uh, Republican voters, party primary voters, about 35% he's going to get no matter what. Well, while the rest of the party may be up for grabs in the primary, that means that the more candidates who come into this race who end up splitting the rest of that total all make it easier for Donald Trump to win uh, primary elections and knock them off one by one, as he did in 2016, until he wins the nomination. So that's just one of the reasons that Trump recently welcomed Nikki Haley into the race. Even as he uh, continues to attack the one guy that he knows could potentially beat him, his uh, good buddy and fellow autocrat, that would be uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida. So he's glad to have Haley and others like her in the race. Because it's going to make it harder for DeSantis to actually uh, uh, defeat Trump, who already has a built in, who knows, 30, at least 30, 35 percent of the vote. But before we get to 2024, frankly, we are nowhere near done, it seems, with the 2022 elections. For that matter, we can't even get done with the 2020 elections, at least when it comes to the accountability for Donald Trump's multiple failed attempts to steal it, as currently under criminal investigation by Fulton County, Georgia. District Attorney Fannie Willis and by Federal Special Counsel Jack Smith. But as they probe criminal violations of the law by the former president and hopefully bring indictments for him in the not too terribly distant future, the real world effects of sore loser Trump's pretend campaign that he had the election stolen from him in 2020, Well, that continues to rock American democracy in all sorts of ways, in ways both good and bad, mostly bad, given the efforts by Republicans since 2020 to make it harder to vote based on the lies told by Trump about the 2020 election. Uh, Things that they know are lies, but hey, we can use this to change the law to make it more difficult for certain people to vote. That is what they have been doing, of course, for the last uh, two plus years at this point. But there are uh, a few instances, very few, in which Trump's false claims about voting systems may actually lead to more transparency for everyone, whether Democrats like it or not. But transparency for everyone, which we have been reporting and frankly warning repeatedly For about 20 years now at Bradblog.com and on this program, uh, the problem of overseeing our elections has become a worsening problem for the nation once we began uh, using unoverseeable computerized voting and tabulation systems in response to the last election that Republicans pretended in that case was almost stolen from them. In fact... It was the Democrats and all of us who were robbed that year. That was 2000, the year 2000, and the election between George W. Bush and Al Gore, in which Al Gore almost certainly received, by all available evidence, almost certainly received more votes than George W. Bush in the state of Florida, and thus should have won the Electoral College victory as well that year, but for an already, at the time, corrupted right-wing U.S. Supreme Court that forced the state of Florida to simply stop counting actual legal votes in order to simply award the presidency to George W. Bush. Out of that came a $4 billion gold rush called the Help America Vote Act, or HAVA, of 2002, which resulted... In what can only be described, what I've been describing, what I've been warning for uh, going on two decades now, as a corporate takeover of America's previously public elections. A takeover with poorly built, barely tested, often failed computerized voting and tabulation systems that continue to be used today and continue to undermine confidence in elections. That are now harder and harder for the public to oversee and easier and easier to lie about, as I have been warning as these uh, as our elections are now tallied inside of computer systems, either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows? It's impossible to know either way if the computers have tallied it correctly or incorrectly unless hand marked paper ballots are actually hand counted by human beings in order to assure that the computers tabulated those ballots as per voter intent. Most of the time, let me be clear, most of the time the computers get it correct. But if the public can't know that the computer had it correct, well, then you end up with what we've been dealing with for the past couple of years in this country. Now, some, very few, but some Republicans have begun to figure out that concern. Following Trump's lies about the 2020 election, and though they are often met with a knee-jerk reaction from some Democrats, some of these Republicans are now working toward making elections more overseeable by the public. That's important and of course that is very different from trying to restrict voters from being able to vote at all as a great majority of Republicans are now doing. But there are several ways to uh, make elections more overseeable by the public. One of them is to move to hand-counted paper ballots, as has been successfully done in election after election for many years, for example, in about 40 percent of the towns in New Hampshire, where volunteers count all ballots by hand in front of the public at the precinct on election night, before those ballots are moved anywhere. And, by the way, in those towns where they often finish up the tally, even before the machine-tabulated towns are able to finish up their tallies. and uh, But this is important because we talked a, a week or so ago, and I'll uh, try to have an update I've been trying to get to for a while. What well, we talked about a week or so ago about computer tabulators in uh, Monmouth County, New Jersey, which counted the votes incorrectly. And we only found that out just last month. And in fact, it looks like uh, one of the uh, candidates who was named as the loser ended up being the winner in one of those races. Now, what do we do about it? Well, that's what is now being fought out in the courts. And New Jersey was not the only place that happened. It also happened here in California. Last November, and I've referenced this a couple of times in a um, ranked choice voting, a uh, couple of uh, several ranked choice voting races out here last November. The computers got it wrong again. And I do intend to go into detail on what happened there. I've been trying to get to that at this point for weeks, and stuff keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> And not necessarily good stuff, but stuff that keeps us from getting to it. But we will. But in the meantime, now, some GOP-controlled counties around the country, for both good reasons or bad, in fact, it doesn't actually matter, are looking at doing the very same thing that they do in 40 percent of the towns in New Hampshire. That is publicly hand-counting paper ballots. I think it's not a terrible idea, at least if we want to allow the public to oversee their own elections. That story is next on today's Bradcast, followed by Desi Doyne and today's Green News Report. Yay! All of that is ahead on your friendly neighborhood Bradcast. (laughs) Don't touch that dial. Hey this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com we fight for election integrity all year around. Like no other media outlet in the nation but of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate. And thanks. back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, and you can count on me. I have I've long maintained uh, that we had, and, and I think, Des, you can uh, back me up here. I've long okay. maintained that we we're only ever going to get rid of our terrible unoverseeable voting and tabulation systems once a Republican got screwed by them.
3: <laughs> yes, you have said that for right? It's not years. <laughs> enough
1: if Democrats uh, get screwed by them as we have seen in one case after another over the past couple of decades, but uh, it's going to take a Republican getting screwed.
3: Well, yeah, it's kind and, of like that on many, many things. You're right. Republicans yeah. have to experience something personally in order for them to go, oh, right. I get it now. Correct.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, for years, as longtime listeners and, and readers will recall, uh, those of us not on the right were actually dismissed as conspiracy theorists and worse for simply pointing out With evidence, with independently verifiable evidence, pointing out the vulnerability of computerized voting and tabulation systems, Uh, particularly, by the way, uh, we were called names and everything else by Republicans, ironically enough. Well, uh, times sure have changed, (laughs) haven't they? This uh, this actually happened last month in a pretty tiny county of about 17,000 people. But I only heard about it recently from an election integrity advocate from San Diego. So my apologies for the delay in reporting on this. But according to K.A.R.K., the NBC affiliate in Little Rock, Arkansas, a Cleburne County, Arkansas quorum court voted to remove voting machines and computer tabulators, apparently from elections, making it a fully hand counted paper ballot county, according to the NBC affiliate in Little Rock, officials with the arkansas voter integrity initiative Inc or a v i i an apparently right wing group who happened to be uh, who happened to be right at least on this point, even if not for the right reasons. This group said the, uh, the, the vote was in response to uh, the vote by the quorum court was in response to AVII CEO Colonel Conrad Reynolds and his push for election computers to be removed from Arkansas elections. The decision will now require votes to be hand counted in the county. Reynolds told the uh, local NBC affiliate quote. The machines do not read the names on the ballots. Instead, they scan barcodes, which humans cannot read. They also utilize proprietary software that we are not allowed to examine. This all means voters cannot verify that their vote is being counted properly as mandated by state law. Now, I don't know which state law uh, requires that in Arkansas, but on all of the other points, I can tell you he's absolutely correct. These machines do not read the names on the ballot. They read things that can't be actually verified by human beings, particularly the touchscreen systems that print out your ballots. They don't read the choices that you may or may not have verified that are printed out on the ballots. They read a barcode. You can verify the names on the ballots all you want or try to, but the computers don't care about those. They're counting the little QR code up in the corner. So this means... Uh, As he says, you know, voters are unable to make sure that their vote is being counted properly. An attorney for the group noted that it is in Arkansas law that each county has the right to choose their own voting processes. Cleburne County Justice of the Peace Jacques Martin voted in favor of moving to paper ballots, stating, quote, it's time we take back and return to having elections we can have faith in. With transparency and integrity. So faith? No. But confidence? Yes. Oversight and transparency? Absolutely. And therefore, hopefully, integrity. A VII official said that they are aiming to get the remaining 74 county quorum courts in the state to vote to return to paper ballots by early 2023. I'm not familiar. I'm not sure exactly what a quorum court is, but apparently it's something in each county that can make these sorts of decisions.
3: And isn't this a return to paper ballots? It's not like, you know, this is some newfangled idea. It's how elections used to be run by well, everybody.
1: Uh, yes, it's how, ele- yes and no. Because remember, before a paper ballots, a lot of places used those punch cards. Right. Which were a version of a computer, sort of an analog computer that tallied them. Other places used those voting machines, you know, the great big ones with the you know, pull the lever and so forth. It's been a long time since most places have actually hand-counted, hand-marked paper ballots, and, and even when they did, it was not necessarily publicly done. It was often done in those back rooms, in those smoky back rooms. So it's not something that it's, it's you know, returning to hand-marked paper ballots. That's one thing. Going to hand-counting, a lot of places haven't done it in decades and decades, if at all. In any event, I am okay with going back to that or going to that for the first time, presuming they have a plan for hand counting. You know, it's not particularly difficult, but it is much more complicated than you may think. And it needs to have a plan in place well before elections for how and if it can work in any particular jurisdiction. You can't just decide tomorrow, hey, we're going to hand counting. So we will see if that finding holds in Cleburne County and if it spreads elsewhere in Arkansas. I suspect someone's going to try to appeal it in the state, and we will otherwise try to follow this story in the days ahead. But Arkansas is not the only place where Republicans are pushing for publicly hand-counted paper ballots. Nye County, Nevada's decision... Uh, Again, another small county, this time in Nevada, their decision to switch to paper ballots and utilize a hand count in the 2022 election cycle captured the country's attention. In fact, we covered it on this program. It grabbed national headlines. It even prompted legal action by the ACLU in an attempt to stop the move. But despite the pushback and a two-week delay that was caused not by the counting but by the ACLU lawsuit, Nye County Clerk Mark Kampf said that the new process devised for 2022 was actually a successful one and his office will now be analyzing its options for the 2024 elections. Quote, just as a reminder that to those who don't believe it, the tabulation now he means the computer tabulation was the primary method of determining our election results. He said we used the Dominion tabulators to calculate our election results no different than we have in the past. He explained the big difference was when it came to calculating the results for uh, uh, 2022 when they included a hand count on top of the computer tally. In addition to counting the ballots with the electronic equipment, more than 200 volunteers offered their time and their energy to tally all of the votes that were marked on the paper ballots by hand, the results of which were then balanced against those that were derived from the Dominion Voting System computer tabulation. By balanced, I believe they mean compared. In the end, Kampf remarked, it appeared that the hand count was marginally more accurate Then the machine count. Well, imagine that. Who could have predicted that? Oh, right. We did for about 20 years now. Conf asserted, quote, uh, we were ninety nine point eight nine percent accurate compared to the computer tabulation process and the differences were largely due to the five percent sensitivity That the tabulators use to identify a vote. A vote is any visible mark within the oval, according to the law in Nevada. Our hand count process found votes that the tabulator didn't, that the tabulator did not pick up and found overvotes that the tabulator also did not pick up. So votes that shouldn't have been counted. They were able to notice, oh, they they voted for too many people, whereas the computer did not notice that. He said, so we were really 100 percent accurate. It was the tabulation process by the computers that produced inaccuracies. As I have noted too many times to count. Until humans count ballots by hand, we're all just sort of taking the computer's word for it. It's either right or it's wrong, but we can't know unless humans bother to check it, which seems like a reasonable thing given what is at stake in American elections. The rights, the freedoms, the billions and billions of dollars. As for the use of paper ballots rather than electronic ones, which until 2022, I believe, uh, Nevada used uh, electronic ballots across the entire state. They used touchscreen systems that printed out a version of the voter's ballot, uh, either incorrectly or correctly, which is something that can never be known after an election. You can't know if that computer printed the ballot as per the voter's intent. But when it came to uh, hand-counting the ballots, there was plenty of skepticism expressed regarding the ability to count those ballots in a timely manner, regardless of the means that was used to count them, since they were, you know, counting them both by hand and by computer. So many in Nevada didn't even want to have hand-marked paper ballots, much less hand-counted ones. They were concerned, oh, if we use hand-marked paper ballots— It'll take forever to count them. How done. can that possibly be done? That's yes, I know. Some predicted the election results would not be available for many, many days after the 2022 election. Compt said his office was in fact able to electronically tabulate 90 percent of the paper ballots by midnight on election night. On the computers and all the computer tabulated results were reported to the Nevada secretary of state right on schedule. There was really no delays as a result of the paper ballots, said Kompf, though just one month into the new year, uh, Kompf and his team are already casting their eyes toward 2024, which as presidential election year is expected to see a much larger turnout. In addition to the primary in June and the general in November next year, the state of Nevada will be using a uh, presidential preference primary for the first time in February of 2024. Previously, they had used a caucus system in the state. Comp said, uh, "quote We need to evaluate whether we want to do a full hand count, a full parallel process." as they're doing now, or some hybrid or look at alternative vote verification systems. I'm doing research every single day, he says, uh, to research alternatives to give us the same effect as doing a full hand count. There are a lot of ways we can do this and this uh, to do this and continue to restore voter confidence. Well, thank you, Mr. Kampf. Please proceed.
3: Yes, do that research. I'm interested in seeing how it turns out.
1: Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that they're planning in advance instead of this notion of, uh, oh, let's just hand count these instead. That is a recipe for disaster. Also, by the way, recipe recipe for disaster, counting them both by hand and by computer, because that means all you got to do is mess with one or the other. Mm. To uh, throw the entire election into chaos with people fighting about which one is right and which one isn't. Of course, um, you know, had, had we properly and publicly hand counted ballots in 2020, it would have been much harder for Donald Trump to hoax his supporters into giving their you know, lives in order to try and overthrow the U.S. government to help him steal an election on January 6th of 2021. And now we've got just a bit more evidence before we get to our Green News report that Trump, in fact, knew that he was lying when he incited that deadly insurrection for which he has yet to be held accountable. Over the weekend, uh, according to a new exclusive from Josh Dossie at Washington Post, which many didn't notice because they were looking at balloons in the sky, Former President Donald Trump's 2020 campaign commissioned an outside research firm in a bid to prove electoral fraud claims, but never released the findings because, well, the firm disputed almost all of his theories, could not offer any proof that he was the rightful winner of the election. That, according to four people familiar with the matter. The campaign paid researchers from Berkeley Research Group, the people said, to study the 2020 election results in six critical states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona and Nevada, looking for fraud and irregularities to highlight in public and in the courts. Among the areas examined were voter machine malfunctions, instances of dead people voting and any evidence that could help Trump show that he won. According to the sources, none of the findings were presented to the public or in court. Why? Well, because it didn't show what Donald Trump wanted it to show. About a dozen people at the firm worked on the report, including econometricians who use statistics to model and predict outcomes. According to the people, the work was carried out in the final weeks of 2020. This would be before the January 6th riot of uh, Trump supporters at the U.S. Capitol. Nonetheless, Trump continues to falsely assert that 2020 was stolen, despite abundant evidence to the contrary, much of which had been provided to him or was publicly available before the Capitol assault. The Trump campaign's commissioning of its own report to study the then president's fraud claims, at least until this past weekend, had not previously been reported. Quote, they looked at everything. Changes of addresses, illegal immigrants, ballot harvesting, people voting twice, machines being tampered with, ballots that were sent to vacant addresses that were returned and voted. That, according to a person familiar with the work, literally anything you could think of. Voter turnout anomalies, date of birth anomalies, whether dead people voted. If there was anything under the sun that could be thought of, they looked at it. The findings, however were not what the uh, Trump campaign had been hoping for. While the researchers believe there were some anomalies or unusual data patterns here and there in a few states, they did not believe that the anomalies were significant enough to make any difference in who won the election. That research also contradicted some of Trump's more conspiratorial theories, like his baseless claims about rigged voting machines and large numbers of dead people voting. There were at least a dozen hypotheses that Trump's team wanted tested. Uh, Quote, just like any election, there are always errors, omissions, irregularities. It was nowhere close, nowhere close enough to uh, what they wanted to prove. And the anomalies or errors uh, went actually in both directions, according to the source. Senior officials from Berkeley Research Group briefed Donald Trump and his then chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and others on their findings in a December 2021 conference call. So again, he knew all of this stuff before January 6th. Nonetheless, on the conference call, Trump continued to say that he won the election. And in fact, the call grew contentious, according to the uh, people. Well, I bet it did. The major point here. It's another data point where Trump was told he knew before January 6th by his own top White House officials, uh, attorneys at the White House, by his own top DOJ officials, and even by the people that he himself paid, his campaign anyway, paid about $600,000 to carry out the most complete study of any and all of his allegations and his evidence-free theories And only to find that the election was indeed not stolen from him. Nevertheless, he went out on January 6th and once again claimed otherwise in hopes of inciting an insurrection, which succeeded in killing several cops, several of his own supporters over his lies, which he knew were lies when he told them. Accountability cannot come soon enough for this guy. Jack Smith and Fonnie Willis we're waiting Green News Report is next I'm Brad Friedman this is the Bradcast Well, it was another information-packed program today, so uh, no time for chit-chat. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News
2: report. We basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get a railroad open.
3: Ohio residents sue over fiery chemical train derailment after governor's decision to release toxic chemicals. Exxon drops its algae biofuel charade, plus...
1: Are you excited about buying an electric vehicle, but worried that it could leave you unsatisfied?
3: Electric vehicles dominate Super Bowl car ads, signaling a potential culture shift.
1: Emphasis on potential. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
2: Netflix Joining in by including more EVs in their
1: movies and shows. least they can do. It's the very least they can do. We'll take what we can get. This is your Green News Report. I'm
0: gonna soak up the sun.
1: Okay, Dizzy Doyen, what's going on in Ohio is not getting nearly enough coverage from the national news. Uh, essentially, they have poisoned thousands of people, it seems to me.
3: Yes, it does. Cleanup is underway in East Palestine, Ohio, after last week's massive toxic chemical train derailment and fire, and officials' decision to burn off the train's flammable cargo in a controlled release operation to avert the risk of an even
1: larger explosion. Controlled release of toxic chemicals.
3: Residents have been allowed to return to their homes, but at least four class action lawsuits have been filed, seeking damages, and to force the railroad company Norfolk Southern to provide free healthcare care monitoring amid reports of dead farm animals, birds and fish in downstream areas and concerns about long term exposure. The fiery derailment has renewed calls to upgrade railroad safety in the wake of staffing cuts implemented by the railroad industry and the Trump administration's rollback of Obama-era regulations tightening safety standards for trains carrying highly explosive liquids. On Monday, the Environmental Protection Agency identified three additional highly toxic chemicals released by the derailment and confirmed that some of the chemicals have been detected in the air and surface waters of the Ohio River Basin but below thresholds that would
1: trigger public health concerns. The people who live there seem to be very concerned, and yet Governor Mike DeWine told everyone to just go on back. Everything was fine. Everything was safe. It seems that it was anything but.
3: In other news, last week, oil giant Shell posted all-time record profits of $42 billion in 2022. This week, environmental law firm Client Earth filed a climate lawsuit with England's highest court against all 11 individual members of Shell's board of directors. The first-of-its-kind suit accuses the individuals of failing to manage the company's climate risks and, quote, breaching company law by failing to implement an energy transition strategy that aligns with the landmark 2015 Paris
1: Agreement. Company law? Do companies have laws? Apparently they do. Well, and I guess they're willing to violate those as well.
3: Oil giant Exxon also reported record-shattering profits. $59 billion in 2022 alone. And then Exxon quietly announced it is ending its much-touted research into developing sustainable algae-based biofuels. Exxon has spent millions since 2009, both... About its algae research in ads and investor presentations, which critics throughout have condemned as greenwashing. Accurately, it turns out. Environmental activist Bill McKibben asks, why didn't Exxon invest those millions in solar and wind energy? Because, he quipped, energy from the sun and wind are free forever, and that doesn't fit Exxon's business model.
1: Sounds about right. By the way, didn't we have a story just last week with BP doing the same thing, record profits and then backing off of their climate targets?
3: Yes, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres cited the oil industry's record profits last year in calling for governments to end billions in fossil fuel subsidies doled out every year to the fossil fuel industry.
1: Despite all of their war profiteering? Yes. Go figure. In his
3: State of the World address, Guterres warned that on our current trajectory, we are headed toward a catastrophic 2.8 degrees Celsius temperature rise above pre-industrial levels. Guterres castigated the powerful oil industry, industry for blocking the shift to clean energy.
1: If you cannot set a credible course for net zero, you should not be in business. Yeah, they shouldn't be in business.
3: Finally, commercials during the 57th Super Bowl game appear to mark a cultural shift. There were only four automobile ads in total, and three of them were for electric cars, including one that made fun of range anxiety or the fear of running out of a battery charge. But streaming service Netflix went a different route with an ad from comedian Will Ferrell announcing an initiative to increase the visibility of electric vehicles by featuring EVs in film and television. And it appeared to be working. Online retailer Cars.com reports it saw a 21% increase in EV searches during and after the game.
1: Very cool. Maybe I was too cynical. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report.
2: Who's gonna drive you home tonight
1: Thank you very much. Our producer, Desi Doyen, thanks for all that you do. By the way, you can drop her email if you like. She is greennews at bradblog.com. Write her for a change, why don't you? Also, make sure you follow her on the Twitters, the uh, Facebooks, and the Mastodons at. Green News Report. Pretty simple. There you go. Uh, That's it. we got to get out of here. Thanks again, Desi Doyne. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We are 100% listener and reader supported. So when you stop by the blog, please hit one of those donate buttons. We could use it to help stay on your public Airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate will get you straight there. Drop me email if you want. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Bradblog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck,
2: world. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1918. That was the day 300 commercial laundresses in Kansas City walked off the job demanding a union. Male laundry delivery drivers successfully organized the previous summer. They joined the women on the picket lines. The Employers Association had financed an open shop drive since the beginning of the war. The laundry companies refused to grant wage increases to the drivers. They also refused to acknowledge the women's demand for a union. The Women's Trade Union League tried to hold hearings about ...about the strike at the Hotel Muehlbach. But the hotel refused to allow striking black workers into the building. As a result, their white co-workers refused to testify. When the hearings were finally moved, the women told of intolerable conditions. Laundresses complained of filthy workplaces and potential fire traps... They reported that laundry owners had put together their own private police force. These guns-for-hire assaulted women strikers, breaking one woman's arm, another's wrist, and injuring many more in hopes of deterring them from pressing on with their demands. In the sixth week of the strike, 25,000 more Kansas City workers called a general strike. According to historian Maureen Wiener-Greenwald, they supported the laundry workers' demands for increased wages, union recognition, and enforcement of state regulations regarding hours and working conditions. Greenwald notes the general strike was relatively peaceful until the Kansas City Railway attempted to run streetcars with scab labor. Finally, the laundry companies agreed to union recognition and later promised wage increases. They soon reneged, but the show of solidarity among workers provided key lessons for future labor struggles in Kansas City. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Labor Two.